Welcome to the Commission Podcast. Today is session two from our main talks at Revive, our annual Bible festival. We're working through the book of Jonah and the theme of going to the great city. If you missed session one, head back to the last episode to check that out. This episode, we'll hear from Jason Roach on Jonah chapter two and the grace of God. Jason was the founder and senior pastor of the Bridge Church Battersea and is currently the director of ministries at London City Mission. We were blessed to have him speak at Revive this year, and we hope you're encouraged as you listen to his talk. We're going to be reading from the book of Jonah, and we're going to be reading chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me in the depths into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's a great joy to be with you as ever. Uh, Do keep that page in your Bibles or in your booklets open. And let's pray uh, again as we begin this session. Let's bow our heads. Our loving uh, Heavenly Father, we pray with the saints of old. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start by telling you about the day that I almost died. It was uh, four years ago. I was visiting uh, my sister, who at the time was a a missionary in uh, Madagascar. And um, uh, this was, unlike the the people talking in the restaurant in the previous talk, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. This wasn't something that I was doing every day. But but we got a chance uh, for a couple of days to head north to a, a beach and that beach looked out onto the Indian Ocean. And right in front of us was this huge uh, coral reef. It was so big that it meant that just to get into the water, you had to sort of head uh, along the beach so that you could avoid the coral, which was obviously painful and also damaging uh, for the coral. Uh, A bunch of kids wanted to explore, so we led a party out along the beach and heading into the water out to sea. It was me and another adult. I was the least confident swimmer amongst the lot. I actually come from a a family of relatively accomplished swimmers, but two 
members of my sort of extended family were taken out by riptides in the Atlantic Ocean. And I've grown up with this inordinate fear of being the next. And so we're heading out into the water, and as we're getting deeper and deeper, a huge turtle swims past these children, uh, my children, some of them, and they are off. They're captivated. They're heading out to sea to follow the turtle, and I'm trapped in no man's land. I can't go after them. I'm just not a strong enough swimmer. And I turn back to shore, and what seemed at first to be quite close uh, to me now looked further and further away. And I let my legs sink down, thinking that the bottom of the sea would be just a few centimeters, but I kept falling and falling and falling. And I panicked. And I scrambled as hard as I could to get back to the surface, and I cried out. I tell you, I have never been so scared in my life. But of course, the fact that I'm here today tells you <laughs> that I called out and I was saved. And I start with that because chapter two of this book of Jonah is all about how Jonah called out and was saved. But the way that Jonah called out was slightly different, and the way that he was saved was slightly more unusual. Rather than being pulled out of the water, he was swallowed up uh, by this huge fish. And despite the fact that the text only mentions this in a kind of matter-of-fact, incidental way, many have written off this story, as we heard in our first talk, as a fairy tale. But let's just get this out of the way right at the beginning. If we can believe that God created the universe... If we can believe that the Son of God came down to earth and took on human flesh, if we can believe that he lived and died and rose again for us, well then to believe that God created a fish to swallow and contain and transport Jonah wherever he wanted him to be, well, it's, it's not so tricky, is it? And so I'm going to assume, like Jesus, that this really happened. And so the focus of chapter 2, again is how Jonah calls out and how God provides a way to save Jonah. Most of the chapter is a kind of flashback from the safety of the fish. Jonah remembers his desperate situation in the water. And we're going to break this incredible song, for that's what it is. We're going to break this incredible song into three parts. The cry for salvation, the cause of salvation, and the consequences of salvation. The cry for salvation, the cause of salvation, and the consequences of salvation. So let's dive right in with the first of those, the cry for salvation. Having been on the run from God, Jonah finally remembers him and cries out. And the thing that I want us to notice as we think on this is that he cries out at crisis point. So come with me to Jonah uh, chapter 2. I think it begins at 117. Uh, now that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God and he said, here it comes. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Just like my Madagascar experience, when I found out that there was nothing below my feet and I reached crisis point, I cried out, so did Jonah. 
And it's as if we switch on a 4K National Geographic camera and follow him descending down into the depths as he has to reach rock bottom before he finally calls out. Have a look down with me, verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very hearts of the seas. The current swirled about me. It's as if the waves are lapping at his neck. Verse 5, he's got deeper. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed beginning to wrap around his neck. And then verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The understanding at the time was that the roots of the mountains were at the very ocean floor. And so he gets to the bottom, and it's then, verse 7, when his life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Why the temple? The temple was the place where you looked if you wanted to reach out to God. When it had been dedicated back in to kings, the king uh, Solomon at the time said, the temple is the place where God hears from heaven and acts. He's crying out to God. But here's the point. It's taken a crisis to get him to cry out, to re-examine his relationship with God. And isn't that often the case when it comes to relationships? We'll let dysfunction continue for quite a long time until it reaches absolute crisis point and we finally have to do something about it. To slightly alter a C.S. Lewis quote, crisis is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Think of a Muslim woman who arrived recently from Iran She was having problems in her work that were leaving her anxious and stressed and angry with everyone, but also open to God in a new way. So she wandered into a local London church to pray. As we heard Jonty saying the other day, this local London church was just doing the ordinary things of welcoming a stranger who walked into their doors, of sharing the love of the Lord Jesus with them, And wonderfully, a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to see her baptized and giving her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Crisis caused her to cry out and re-examine her relationship with God. Think of Tim Keller, a previous speaker here at Revive, who was recently diagnosed with cancer and has written on this and said, my cancer helped me to eliminate doubts about God I didn't even know were there. That crisis has given me more of a sense of his presence, more freedom from besetting sins, more dependence on his word. Things I'd sought, but only under these circumstances was reaching out to find. Do you see how crisis caused him to cry out, to re-examine his relationship with the Lord in a new way. Not that he wasn't a believer, but he he called out to him afresh for new grace. So here's the question. Could it be that today God is asking you to re-examine your relationship with him? Perhaps there's something going on at work, some new challenge, some new pressure on your team that you weren't expecting is emerging. Perhaps you are experiencing loss. The life that you mapped out for yourself a few years ago isn't the life that you're living now, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to be. Perhaps it's an ongoing battle 
that you're facing. I spoke to a woman recently who is drawn day after day to looking at posts on Instagram and thinking, yes, wow, I can be a different kind of person starting right now. And then minutes later, feeling like throwing out all her clothes, emptying out her fridge and blowtorching her whole life. And in the midst of those crises, perhaps you're aware, whether it's at home or work or in the battle that you're facing, that perhaps your prayer life has dried up and God feels frankly distant. Could God today be asking you to re-examine your relationship with him? Perhaps even to stop running. Now look, crying out doesn't mean that everything is going to be instantly transformed. Jonah, remember, is inside a fish. It's cramped, it's confining, it's dark, dingy, disgusting. And yet, he's drawn close to the one who can make a difference. The question is, have we? Will we? The cry for salvation Maybe, though, you wonder, why would he hear me if I cried out to him? I've never followed him before. Why would he even listen to me? Or maybe you're here and you think, I failed him so many times. Why would he want me back? And that brings us to our second point, the cause of salvation. The cause of salvation. And the thing I want us to see here is that it's not Jonah's greatness or goodness that saves him. It's God's. It's not Jonah's greatness or goodness that saves him. It's God's. Right at the end of our passage in verse 8 and 9, it's as if Jonah has this mental picture of the sailors on the surface of the water crying out to their different gods in the midst of crisis and seeing no results. Do you see it in verse 8? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. They don't benefit from what God can give them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, says Jonah, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make do. I, I, I will make good. I will do what you asked me to do. And here it comes. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I was unable to help myself but you were able to provide what I needed. There I was in Madagascar, and there was no swimming prowess that saved me. I was helpless, and it was my wife who swam my heavy lump back to shore. And so Jonah, in his helplessness, realized that he needs someone, he needed someone else, and it was God. And in Jonah's case, the whole way that this story is told goes out of its way to show how helpless he is, not just in his physical descent, but also in his spiritual descent too. In chapter 1, we saw that Jonah had run away from the Lord, and it links this language of running away with a direction of going down. So in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3, he'd gone down to Joppa, he'd gone down below deck. But here now in chapter 2, when we get to verse 6, he's down at the depths of uh, the oceans. Uh, he is at the roots of the mountains. Do you see, as he, he runs away from the very author of life, life itself begins to unravel. 
And God is actively involved in that unraveling. Verse 3, did you notice? You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. All your waves and breakers came over me. Verse 4, I have been banished from your sight. You see, this isn't just a physical descent into the water, it's a spiritual descent too. He looks more like Pharaoh being swallowed up by the sea of reeds than an Israelite about to be saved through water. He even admits that he's nowhere with God spiritually in verse 7 when he says, look, my life was ebbing away and I remembered you, Lord. In other words, he'd forgotten him. Now look, commentators disagree on to what extent there is genuine repentance in the life of Jonah in this chapter. I think it's notable, though, that in all of his praise, there is no admission of wrongdoing. Could it be that Jonah is like a stubborn child who says he will do what he's told in verse 9, but not that he regrets what he did? And then to cap it all off, verse 10, as we heard earlier, he is vomited out onto the shore. Now look, the world over, vomit has a very simple meaning, regurgitated food. (laughs) It's a substance you want to avoid. Vomit found its way into a fair few sermons in my life at the bridge, not because I vomited there and then, but... uh, Um, uh, For years, I had a condition that meant that I would find myself vomiting uh, in the night. And so for any who are less familiar, can I reassure you, this is a substance you want to stay away from. And in the scriptures, it's often God's way of pointing to unfaithfulness. Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 28, talk of how God's people are to be faithful to the Lord or he will vomit them out uh, of the land. Here's the bottom line of this spiritual descent that we see. Here is a man who can string a great prayer together, but there are still deep-seated issues in his heart. Here is a man who is both grateful and defiant at the same time. Why do I emphasize that? Because so often that is just like us grateful and defiant at the same time. And yet God sees it all. And yet in our one step forward, two steps back kind of faith, when we cry out to him, he saves. Because it was never about Jonah's greatness or goodness. It was always about God. And yes, we'll come to repentance as we get to chapter 3, but here the emphasis, verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. You may know the story of uh, George uh, Clooney and the dinner he held a few years ago. He invited 14 friends to sit around the table with him. Some of these friends were uh, movie stars. Some were school friends he'd known from his days uh, in the past. So that meant that some sitting around the table were probably millionaires. Others, we know, as the story was recounted, uh, were almost destitute. And so as the dinner went on, at one point he uh, has someone put suitcases in front of each of their uh, uh, chairs, and he says, open your suitcases. And they open the suitcases up, and inside each one, is a million dollars. Pays to be friends with the right people, doesn't it? (laughs) But in that moment, there were people around that table who could not help themselves. 
And yet he did out of his kindness, out of his generosity. And how much more God? How much more God who provides what we need spiritually, not because we are on the best terms now, not because we deserve it, not because we've got everything right, not because we could do it on our own, but freely, by his grace, because of his kindness. And if we're thinking of calling out today, well, we have even more reason for confidence, don't we? Because we have a greater and a better Jonah, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the prophet who came from heaven and didn't run away from the job that his father had given him to do. Jesus was the one who did nothing wrong and yet willingly went down to the depths of death for three days to bear the punishment for our sins and rose again three days later. Not the vomited one, but the victorious one. Hallelujah. I got to pray uh, just yesterday with one of my fellow missionaries at London City Mission. Her name is Sarah, and her son, teenage son, was stabbed to death a few years ago on his way to school. And at the court hearing where uh, the people, her killers, the killers of her son were sentenced, uh, she had an overwhelming sense of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for her, and she chose to forgive those killers. And if you hear her speak about that story, which she does day after day, in order that others would know it, she is never the hero of that story. Jesus Christ is the hero of that story. Because she knows that she may never have stabbed anyone, but her rebellion against the Lord God was a far worse crime and deserved a life sentence in hell. We are not messing around, friends. It deserved a life sentence in hell. And it is his free forgiveness of us that gripped her life and changed everything. And it can change ours if only we will cry out to him. And I know for many of us, it has. And so if you are thinking of calling out to him today and you're tempted to think, I've never followed him, if you're tempted to call out to him today for fresh grace and you're thinking, I've failed him, do not focus on your goodness, on your goodness, on your greatness. Focus on God's kindness despite our sinfulness. And when it comes to people you think would never follow Jesus, and maybe you're tempted to write them off and not speak about Jesus, maybe it's your Muslim neighbor, maybe it's your atheist sister, maybe it's your Hindu work colleague, maybe it's your rebellious teenage son. Don't focus on their history or their hardness. Focus on God's kindness despite their sinfulness. Like that lady from Iran, he can do what we cannot do. He can save. And when you're doubting your own salvation, you're thinking, how could he possibly love someone like me? Don't think about your own goodness, your own greatness. Focus on God's kindness despite our sinfulness. Friends, God is inviting you and me today to call out to him for fresh grace, knowing that it's nothing to do with our ability, but all to do with God's sovereignty and his grace. Hallelujah. We praise his name. And so finally we come, having looked at the cry for salvation, and the cause of salvation to the consequences 
of salvation. And it's just one big consequence I want us to focus on, and it's simply this, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Jonah responds with thanks. And I tell you what, as I lay back on dry land, uh, looking out on the Indian Ocean, I had been never more grateful for my wife, (laughs) if that were possible. I had been saved. And likewise, Jonah, not on land yet, had been saved, and he was thankful. And the way that chapter 2 is shaped on the page points to that. So I'm going to check that you are awake now. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm expecting an answer. Uh, The majority of chapter 2 is shaped on the page like another part of the Bible. What is it? Let's try again. So the, the, the shape on the page of the text as you're looking down, at least in a Bible, actually, to be fair, it may be printed differently in your, in your books, so you're forgiven if it's different in your books. But in your Bibles, as you look at it, it's shaped in the shape of a different part of the Bible. What is it? Come on, tell me. It's a psalm. It's brilliant. And it's a psalm of thanksgiving. So the shape of this is to tell us that, that Jonah responds with thanks. And it's not just that he responds uh, with uh, thanks, but the way that he responds, the psalm that he sings, is made up of several other psalms in the past. So verse 2, for example, uh, is from Psalm 18. Verse 3 is from Psalm 69. Verse 4 is from Psalm 5. And we could go on and on through every line of this psalm. Every word of this song is either summarized or paraphrased or repeated from other psalms. Now, what do we make of that? Here's the takeaway. In his moment of greatest crisis, he sings words that he has stored up in his heart. Or put it another way, in his moment of greatest crisis, he gives back to God what God has given to him. Not always identically, there's some artistic license here, but he knows them well enough to incorporate their ideas into his own prayers as he needs to do so. And I'm going to need your help again for a minute to show what a gift this can be. I'm going to attempt to, and this is always a dangerous thing, I'm going to attempt to sing a couple of songs, and what I want you to tell me is who sung them, okay? So I'm going to attempt to sing three songs Tom, pastor of the bridge, is laughing because he knows I can't sing. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Brilliant. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what... I know, I know, it's bad singing. But do you know who sung it? Thank you. Second one. Strum in my pain with his finger. I heard a Lauren Hill. I'll take Lauren Hill or the Fugees. Brilliant. Oh, hold on, hold on. Don't get ahead of yourself. Third one. This is the hardest one. I can't see it. (laughs) Since I've come home, well, my body's been a mess, and I miss your... Amy Winehouse. Thank you. Brilliant. Here we... Thank you. Thank you. Here's the point, (laughs) and there is a point. All of these songs, as some people are already getting to the bottom of, are cover songs. See, whether you knew it or not, 
Well, let me tell you, first of all, who they were, because we, we, otherwise we're going to be debating it all lunchtime. So, Aretha Franklin, it was actually sung first and written by Otis Redding, Killing Me Softly, written by Roberta Flack, Valerie, written and sung by the Zooters. <laughs> so whether we knew it or not, the cover, it allows us to enjoy the songwriter's words again, perhaps for a new generation or in a new situation. If you knew the original, as some of you did, maybe you're reminded of it. But even if you never knew it, you're able to enjoy it for the first time. Although, perhaps not with my renditions, but you get the idea. <laughs> a cover song is a gift to a new generation. And so here's the thing. God loves it when we cover his songs. God loves it when we cover his music. He loves it when we republish his words for a new generation, for a new situation. Now, of course, that means knowing them. <laughs> But he loves it when we do that. And there are no copyright fees or legal battles or Ed Sheeran angst to have to deal with. And so why not gift the communities that we are part of, whether it's our homes or our churches, with cover songs from the living God? Why not take words of praise and thanks from the Bible and speak those truths over each other as we pray and sing and remind each other of the grace that has been given to us and perhaps even spawn new cover songs amongst our communities? Why not take the very words of Jonah, chapter 2, and make your own prayer of thanks from them or another prayer of thanks as we've been hearing through uh, these talks. Psalm 65 would be an excellent one. Here's a book that I've loved as it's uh, helped me to go through the Psalms. Tim Keller's uh, My Rock and My Refuge. Uh, Tom told me before this talk that his mum has been through this book four times in devotion. So there's a recommendation if ever you wanted one. Linda Alcock's book is going to help us to focus in and remember different parts of the Bible. Matt Searles, a previous pastor at Dundonald, has written some fabulous songs on the Psalms that help to get the word sticking in my mind. Ask people in your communities what helps them. But more generally, perhaps if it's fallen off, why not resolve to make thankfulness part of your daily times of prayer? And remember that Jonah is still inside the fish, <laughs> which means that giving thanks for his grace, God's grace, in our lives doesn't mean saying that life is fine. We can give thanks despite discomfort, despite unresolved questions, despite uncertainty, because the safest place to be is not running away from the living God, but seeking refuge with him. As a family, we have a habit of trying to give thanks each day for one particular truth about the Lord and what his salvation brings. Some of you may have heard it before. Monday, God the Father loves me. Tuesday, God the Son died for me. Wednesday, God the Spirit lives in me. Thursday, we're on our way to glory. <laughs> Friday, all things work together for those who love God. And before that sounds too pious, I, I want to assure you that if you could see that going on at the breakfast table, it would be more like a scene from the opening credits of Saving Private Ryan. People are screaming, and people are throwing stuff at one another, and people are anxious about exams and just trying to get out the door. It's a mess, but we fight. We fight to be thankful for the grace of God in our lives. So what have we seen? The cry of salvation, 
that often comes out of a crisis. The cause of salvation, the grace of God alone, the consequence of salvation, thankfulness, will we put that into practice in our lives? I'm thankful that Rachel saved me from death that day four years ago. (laughs) But I'm much more thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved me from an eternal judgment through his death and resurrection, so that in my distress, I can call out to him with confidence. And even in my struggles, I can thank him with joy, not to stay on the beach, but return to my mission to seek and to save the lost. Friends, we're going to pray, and uh, I'm going to pray another dangerous thing, uh, a kind of song of praise, after which I'm going to give us a few minutes to reflect. So will you bow your heads with me? From the depths of our stress, we cry out to you, Lord, for the work of your Son means that we can adore how in love you blot out our sin and our shame for all those who choose to call on your name. You're the God of the heavens, of land and of sea. There is no darkness that can ever hide me. You wove us together in the depths of the earth, and your love chased us down till you gave us new birth. But we run from your grace and we flee from your love as the waters and weeds keep rising above our ability to cope and to escape our cage. Our idols engulf us in every culture and age. So thank you for making our hearts sing anew. Salvation belongs, yes, entirely to you. You call us to cry and to say we need help, to yield to your love, saying no to ourselves. And we will, because your love is better than life, than a fully charged iPhone or warm peas and rice. Your grace more relentless than Tyson Fury to shake off the chains of our sin slavery. It's not 10% luck or 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, but the Lord's divine pleasure and a whole lot of pain and 100% reason to remember his name. So we shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing, sing praise to the Father, sing praise to the King, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Salvation has come through the work of his son. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you were encouraged by it. And stay tuned as we continue to share talks from our time away together as a network. See you next time.